Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. All right, let's go. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Hey, Phil. Good morning. How we doing? Okay. All right. It's mellow. It's hot. It's Father's Day. Who know? I mean, so Mother's Day. So the the, the joke in the church world is always that uh, on Mother's Day it's larger because moms are dragging the families to church, and on Father's Day the joke is, what's dad? Dad dad's going to say, let's get up early and worship Jesus, or he's going to say, let's go fishing. So so um, or, or maybe you can do both. I don't know. But I just want to say, are there any dads in the house today who decided to show up and be a blessing to us? Any dads in the house? Anybody? 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 Few? Few of us? Few of us? Well done. Well done, dads. Um, As always, uh, even like we talked about this on Mother's Day, as always, these are just mixed days. So my dad died in 07. My stepfather died in 09. My um, father-in-law died in uh, 2010. It's like, you know, so we just kind of celebrate Father's Day, but in kind of a vacuum. For others of us, we've got difficult relationships with our fathers. Uh, For others of us, we would desperately want to be a father, and and God hasn't opened that door. So um, we want to do a little praying, because today is a day. If If you've got much to celebrate today, awesome. Celebrate the heck out of this. Um, and if, if you're here and it's kind of a tough day, we want to pray for you. I, I remember, I will never forget a conversation I had with a guy who was 50. And uh, he, he came in and he didn't know it was Father's Day. And he almost left, but he knew that I call people out when they leave. And so he stayed, but after, he was just, he was just sobbing. He said, my dad never told me he loved me. 50 years old and he was still living under the curse of not hearing that from his dad. And so I, I want to pray for those people. If, if you're celebrating today, awesome, love it, enjoy it, barbecue the heck out of it. Um, but uh, for those of us that are, that are, you know, a little tender today, I want to pray for that, and then we'll dive in. Great to see you guys. Hi, Mom. Happy Father's Day to you, via your husband. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would draw near the brokenhearted this morning. We pray that you would be a father to the fatherless this morning. We pray for grace and healing and the breaking of generational sin for those who have been handed something that isn't beautiful and isn't good and isn't healthy. Just pray for courage um, for many to come uh, bring those things to you, to be healed, to be restored, so that that, uh, whatever it was they were handed stops with them. I pray for this generation of biological fathers and stepfathers and spiritual fathers, Lord, that you would pour out blessing through them, that the next generation of young men and women would know your love through them. So to that end, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Guys, welcome. You missed the prayer. I mean, if you're going to miss anything, that's the part you want to miss. I'm just going to say that right now. My name is Mike. We're thrilled you're here. This is a little church called Vox, which is Latin for voice. 
One of the things that we do is we love questions, and so you guys are ridiculous. I think we had 16 come in last week. Um, four we tried to answer on Facebook, uh, and we'll try to get through as many. I mean, I'm already running late, so they're going to yell at me, but let's, let's try this. What's the purpose of the Vox t-shirts, guys? Right here. What's the purpose? I get that they're for the lead team, but it's become a secret society of sorts where shirt wearers will say hi or smile to each other while passing by others who aren't part of the team. Okay, Vox t-shirt people, you guys suck. <laughs> One year in, it seems a bit elitist to me that the shirts are still being worn and somewhat polarizing to others. Frankly, I wish either the shirts were available to all or no one would wear them. Well, first of all, I am so sorry that they've been polarizing to you. The reason we've worn them is the, when, we, when we planned Vox out, we uh, wanted to be uh, a very hospitable church. And one of the elements of hospitality that we've always particularly enjoyed is what happens at the Apple Store. We think the Apple Store is this really interesting retail experience where you walk in and it's nothing but a wall of shirts and those people are there to help and serve. And so that was the initial vision, was that you would come into a church and you'd be confronted with a bunch of Vox wearers who were not there to just kind of be in a secret club, but were there to actually be available, uh, particularly because we were new, to help and to serve. And uh, we felt like we wanted to identify them so that if you had questions about children's ministry, if you had questions about where to go, what to do, because we weren't going to do a lot of announcements, we weren't going to do a lot of maps, we were just going to kind of try to build this thing organically and relationally, and so we figured the Vox t-shirts would be helpful um, the, uh, in identifying the people who would be helpful. Um, as it can happen, because really this is the only way to kind of get involved in Sunday morning is to serve on a Vox team, and when you serve on a Vox team, you get a Vox shirt. Um, it, you get to know each other because they go through a whole bunch of training. So they have three Wednesday night dinners at our place where they find out about us, we interview them, we train them. So there are groups that kind of form out of that where they're going to know each other better than they know some of you. But the goal is not for it to be an elitist society. The goal is that you would, particularly new people, would be able to walk in and know, all right, who are the people I can talk to to figure out what the heck is going on? Question two. I've attended about six weeks now and listened to both podcasts since the beginning. I think safe to belong is reassuring, but walking in by myself, the belong part seems to be missing. Man, we're, we suck. It feels more like safe to attend, but that doesn't have the same ring. Dang. All right, next. The weekly service absolutely is a blessing to me, but since my divorce, I'm getting questions from my kids as they grow up. This crazy culture has put me in deconstruct mode. My friends at other churches aren't in this limbo. With all these questions, the need to dialogue with others in the same lost space, do I have to wait until table fellowships start in the fall? Great question. No, you don't. We're going to do a couple of things over the summer that I think will be helpful in connecting. Those things are in the works and coming quickly. Um, uh, we have two community pastors that are going to launch something that helps people connect outside of here. Um, we're going to do personal tables over the summer. But, but I get it. We're not a church that has this big menu of options for you to connect. So we get people who come in and say, hey, we love this, but where's the men's Bible study? Where's the women's tea? Where's like the youth group? And we keep, so, we keep going, man, there are great churches for all of those things. We're trying to do something a little bit different. So I totally get that. We don't want you, though, just to be safe to attend. We actually want you to get connected. There are some things in the works that will help. 
Next, talk to a person in a Vox shirt. And they'll like, oh, here we go. Here's a nice one. Thank you. A wonderful service for a religious misfit looking for community and learning to be real in Jesus. All right, well, you're welcome. I'm glad that's helpful. Why did I leave Mariners? Wow. It was over money. Next. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, I wanted to be a senior pastor. And they had a, a quite gifted one. So I wanted to do that. Felt called to do that. So that's why I left. Always been curious, when the Bible talks about premarital... Okay, I can't see many. Oh, yeah, there are. Okay. Next. The next. All right. That one will have to go on the podcast or some someplace. Um, unless, well, my kids would be like, yeah, Dad, answer. Um, uh, I wish I could tell you the conversations that I have with my junior hires about that subject. It is the funniest thing I have ever been a part of. When we had the talk with my oldest, he, he left that conversation saying, Dad, I just wish we could high five and create babies that way. <laughs> so good a job I did. So, so mom and I just would walk around and high five each other and keep, <laughs> keep walking. All right, so we'll get to question six. All right, the Old Testament is filled with God's promises to his people. Some are conditional. Yep, keep my commands, I will bless you. Some seem to be more general. Yep. Since we learn in the New Testament that the Gentiles have now become his people, ah, that's not, I wouldn't say it that way. Are the, New Old Test, are, are the Old Testament blessings for everyone, are they blessings specifically for the Jews? I get the specific Abrahamic covenant, but what about the other promises? Specifically those in the books of the major and minor prophets who are warning Israel of impending doom. So clearly, this is a person who's an unbeliever and not familiar with the Bible, correct? No. All right. Are there two sets of promises? Okay, I went to watch you. All right, so, so how can I be late already? Um, do you guys understand the question? A little bit? Not really? Okay, well, I don't have time to redo it because the, the clock is yelling at me that I'm already a minute 30 over. The question is, are, have, have, do we inherit as Christians the promises that were given to the Jews in the Old Testament? And the answer is we do not. Not, not in a direct, hey guys, not in a direct sort of linear way. The Old Covenant was the Old Covenant, and that was for the people of Israel. Paul's image is that we're grafted in. We don't replace Israel, but we're grafted in to the people of God. And there is a new covenant now through Jesus, and that is the covenant we're under. So we can debate Leviticus all day long, but we're not under Leviticus. The, pro the, the, the warnings given to Israel in the Minor Prophets were given to Israel not given to us. Now, th there are things you can learn about what God is like, what God receives as worship, what God hates. You can learn all sorts of those things, but we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. There's continuity between the two and discontinuity between the two, and that's a fascinating conversation we don't have time for. Next. 
Is Jesus saying there's no difference between sins from a heart perspective, only a moral view? So anger and murder damages our hearts in the same manner, though one is more severe morally. That's a great question. Is there any more to that one? Nope. Then we're going to answer that next week when we get to anger and murder. It's going to be fantastic. Tune in. You'll be here. It'll be incredible. And then you'll forget it all Monday. Next. It seems a lot of the stories told on the Vox stage, as well as a lot of the prayer requests, have an element of lack of self-forgiveness. We intellectually know that Jesus has forgiven us, but we carry around guilt and shame and haven't forgiven ourselves. So how do we go about forgiving ourselves and getting rid of the guilt and shame? Oh my goodness. Simple, simple. guys, this is simple. Read your Bible more and pray. All right, next question. That's a huge process that involves the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the community of God. For many of us, it involves counselors and therapists and conversations and deep forgiveness, not only of other people but of ourselves, of course. It, it, it is a monster facet of our discipleship to get to the place where the way we think about ourselves isn't, I'm a sinner, but the way we think about ourselves is how Christ sees us. I mean, that is, that, so there's no way I can do justice to that. That is a massive, massive question. So that could be worthy of its own podcast. Would you agree? Okay, not really. No one cares. All right, here we go. All right, I'm four minutes over. No more questions. You guys are amazing. Do we have one more? Oh, yeah, we don't have time for that one. Okay, dang. Do you see? Do you see what you do? I mean, we could literally take entire hours and just go over this stuff. It's so good, and you guys, and it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper, so we're trying to do our best. The problem is, every time we do one of these services, there's more that you guys wanna know about, so we're, it's tough. All right, so anyway, I'm in a great mood. Clearly you are not, but we will today study a bit of the Bible together. Let's go to the, let's go to the Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Last week, all the disclaimers. If you remember, if you remember anything from last week, you remember, man, he said he was sorry a lot for how thick it is. That applies to this week too. So just these two weeks are fundamental for understanding the rest of what we're going to go through. So I know, I know this will help you find a mate. This will help you be richer and healthier and happier. All right, I promise. Well, we want your consumer hearts to be happy and blessed because you have your choice of many churches, and yet you choose us. It's just fantastic. But today, we got some heavy lifting to do. So Matthew chapter 5, if you are new to the Bible, Jesus, I know this is shocking, Jesus was Jewish, and Jesus was engaged in very Jewish conversations uh, with uh, his peers, and we're in a section of uh, his most famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been accused of setting aside or misinterpreting the Old Testament law. That was called the Torah. Okay, 613 commands in the Old Testament. Jesus has been accused both in his actions and in his teaching of misinterpreting Torah. Something called abolishing it or nullifying it or canceling it. Jesus is going to defend himself against that charge this way. He says, do not come to think, <laughs> do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That means to misinterpret them. But I've come to fulfill them, to show God's original intention for them. 
For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest Hebrew letter, not the littlest flourish attached to a Hebrew letter will disappear until everything is accomplished. In my movement, anyone who sets aside one of the lightest commands will be called light in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices these and teaches these commands, even the light one, light ones will be called great or heavy in the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, remember two different kinds of commands, the light and the heavy. We use the, the example of the lightest command was take care of a bird's nest. A heavy command, do not murder. The 613 were, were branched into light commands and to heavy commands. More important commands, least important commands. Jesus is, is saying that a couple of things. I've not come to set aside or misinterpret the law. In fact, anyone who sets aside the light commands will be called light in my kingdom. And anyone who teaches even the light commands and obeys them in my kingdom will be called heavy in my kingdom. So he's playing off this idea that there are light commands and heavy commands, but there are also light people and heavy people. I'm a heavy person, which is a beautiful thing. Now, he then, go, uh, go to the different set of slides. Skip that one. He then is going to give, depending on how you count, he's going to give five or six examples of juxtaposing a light command and a heavy command. Does this, this should be familiar. Okay, if you were here last week and you were awake, this should be somewhat familiar. So he's going to take, he's going to take three commands from Exodus and Deuteronomy murder, adultery, and divorce, and juxtapose them with light commands. And then he's going to take three commandments from Leviticus, oaths, retaliation, and love of enemies, and he's going to juxtapose those. So what he's going to be doing is saying, hey, you've heard it said, and I tell you. And what Jesus is doing there, so this, is, this sets up, understanding this point sets up what Jesus is now going to do when we start next week looking at these examples. Okay, next point. And this is so important. Jesus is not abrogating or challenging these laws, nor does he give new laws or interpret the current laws more strictly. He is restoring God's original intention for the laws that were given. Does that make sense? So it's not just enough to not go around murdering. We said last week the goal is the transformation of the human heart. Right? So what Jesus is going to do is going to take commands that deal with the external you and juxtapose them with commands that deal with the internal you and say that those internal ones are just as important as the external ones. So the goal is the transformation. of that. It's not just enough that you go around not murdering. Let's deal with hatred and contempt. It's not just enough going around not committing adultery. Let's deal with lust. It's not just enough to manipulate each other or not manipulate each other by making all of these oaths according to big religious things. No, no, actually be a person of integrity. So what Jesus is doing isn't giving new laws. And what Jesus is doing isn't throwing away the old ones. What Jesus is doing is he's like, he's taking this huge 613 broad and, and the thousands of, of interpretations of that and like a laser beam focusing on what God's heart was the whole time. Love God, love neighbor. And he's going to give five or six, depending on how you count, examples of how this works. Does this make sense? Jesus, for those of you like in the upper deck, 
Jesus is showing off his hermeneutic. He's showing off how he interprets the Bible and how his interpretation is vastly superior than some of his peers. Make sense? Oh boy, I know. I, I can feel the joy. Now, go up, go to chapter uh, 5, verse 20. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Here are the, here are the examples. We can go over these really quickly. These, this is what's going to consume us for the next several weeks. So Jesus will take, you've heard it said to the people long ago, don't murder, anyone, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, heavy command. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment, light command. Now, is Jesus saying being angry is the same as murder? No. What's he saying? God's kind of rightness is a rightness that deals with the transformation of the human heart so that it's not just enough to say, well, I didn't murder anybody today. That's different from actually loving your neighbor, correct? Not murdering and loving your neighbor are vastly different things. Not murdering and dealing with anger and contempt are vastly different things. You with me so far? So Jesus gives a bunch of examples. We won't go over those. Go backwards, Bob, to Matthew 5.20. Now, then Jesus, then Jesus kicks us while we're down. I've not come to misinterpret the Old Testament, but to actually show God's original intention. And in fact, in my movement, if you're setting aside the light commands, you're light in my movement. If you're obeying the light commands, you're heavy in my movement. But here's the thing. If your rightness is just like the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not even in my movement. Now listen, look at me, look at me. <laughs> I agree. This is so important. Look at me. The scribes and the Pharisees were the evangelicals of the day. Okay, these were the people most like us. They were zealous to please God. They were zealous for holiness. They were zealous uh, um, for conversion growth. They were zealous for the text. They were zealous for the synagogue. They, I mean, the, it's, it's like if I were to say, hey, unless you're serving the poor surpasses that of Mother Teresa, you'll never enter the kingdom. Unless you win more people to Jesus than Billy Graham, you'll never enter the kingdom. You'd be like, well, okay, then I'm not in the kingdom, evidently, because there's no stinking way. The Pharisees and the scribes were considered the most righteous, the strictest. And Jesus says, unless your rightness, your righteousness, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll never enter the kingdom. Oh my goodness. So he's not just defended himself, he's now attacked those guys. Now look, this is where it gets thick and heavy. Okay? Everything hinges, it'll get practical too, everything hinges on how you understand this word righteousness. Righteousness uh, is, is a biblical concept that can mean like so many different things. One thing righteousness can mean is covenantal behavior. So it can mean right acting towards God in response to what God has done. So obedience to the 613 commands was what God expected in response to his grace. So adherence to those commands was called rightness or righteousness. Righteousness can also describe God's action in saving and delivering. God was righteous when he acted 
against Egypt. God was righteous when he acted to save Israel. Okay? Or, and this is where it gets funky, righteousness had a very narrow definition in Jesus' day that just meant being kind to the poor. Okay? Yeah, I can't show you this, but it, righteousness went from this broad, huge, massive concept to, in the Pharisees' estimation, at least some of them, it just meant being kind to the poor. In fact, the Pharisees said, if you want to know what righteousness, what it means to be righteous, simple. Fast, pray, give alms to the poor. Those are the three most important parts of being righteous in the Pharisees' eyes. Are you with me on this? In fact, giving alms to the poor became synonymous with being righteous. All right, are you with me? Uh, why does this matter? Okay, put up Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. After Jesus gives these examples, Jesus attacks the Pharisees. Beautiful. Okay, so we think this is just a mumble, uh, a jumble of Jesus' teaching, but actually, he's systematically deconstructing the whole Pharisee agenda. Be careful not to practice your what? The same word. So he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter my kingdom. He then goes jabbing about light and heavy commands, and then he comes back. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. It's not wrong to be seen being righteous. It's wrong doing righteousness in order to be seen. See the difference? If the goal of your righteousness is to bring honor to you, Jesus is going to say, great, you're honored. If the goal of your righteousness is to bring honor to the Father, well, that's the true righteousness God's interested in. Okay, now look, stay with me. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And then Jesus, what were the three acts of righteousness important to the Pharisees? Fasting, prayer, and giving money to the poor. So what's Jesus going to deal with now? Fasting, prayer, and giving money to the poor. And in each illustration, he's going to use the word hypocrite to describe the practices of the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay, so this, oh, so next. So first illustration, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets to be received by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Now, a couple of definitions. Nope, go back. The word hypocrite, we've talked about before, right? What do people hate most about the church? The hypocrites. What do we mean by hypocrites? Well, Jesus is borrowing. Until Jesus got a hold of it, this was not a bad word. To be a hypocrite just meant, meant to be a stage actor. All the stage actors in Greek um, drama were men. And so if you were portraying a woman, you had a mask with a, a female face on it. Or if you were happy, you wouldn't act happy. You'd have a mask that was happy or a, a mask that was sad. It was a mask wearer. That's what a hypocrite was. Until Jesus got a hold of it, it wasn't a bad, it was just an actor. You'd give Emmys and Tonys and Oscars to these people. But for Jesus, a hypocrite means there's a duality between the mask and the real face, correct? All right, we all know what this means. But then he says, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. In other words, whatever honor would be credited them 
for doing their act of righteousness is built into the honor they receive from others because that's all they're interested in. In other words, there's no remainder left over for God to bless them. Next. But when you give to the needy, so again, it's almsgiving, right? Righteousness. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. So that's why we're gonna, we're gonna have people buy chairs in here. We're gonna engrave your name on them. This chair was, no, but we do that all the time, don't we? Right, if you give a large endowment to a university, if you, I mean, we do this all the time. Jesus says, do it in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So if it's the honor of people you want, great, you got it. But you get nothing from God. If it's the honor of God you're interested in, well now, now we're talking about something. Next example, and we'll go through this line by line when we get there. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Again, that word. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by other people. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Next. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you see the theme here? Next. And third example. Fasting, praying, almsgiving. Well, here's fasting. When you fast, do not look somber. See, I have an easy one with this. Because I just don't fast. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious. Next. To others that you are fasting. So this was the issue he had with the Pharisees. In fact, throw out Matthew 23. Later on... Jesus really goes after these guys in a very systematic way. Then Jesus said to the crowds, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now in the synagogue, this was the seat of authority. Okay, this was like the pulpit in evangelical churches or whatever. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Isn't it shocking that religious leaders sometimes don't practice what they preach? I mean, it's mind-blowing. I've never heard of religious leaders not living up to their own teaching. It's unbelievable. You guys are so lame. (laughs) I am funny. Next. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, all these commandments and interpretations, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Phylacteries are like pieces of the Bible. Um, uh, and the tassels, remember the tassels, they, would, they, were, they were supposed to be a certain length, but you would have extra long ones just to show how righteous you were. They love, next, the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. All right, now, how does this sermon, this sermon we're going to look at for a while fit together? Well, Jesus has given you his introductory paragraph. Guys, I am not here to misinterpret the Torah, but to show you God's heart from the beginning. Let me give you five or six examples. Murder, oaths, divorce, retaliation. I tell you, 
that unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom. Don't do your righteousness to be seen by other people. The Pharisees are, are hypocritical that way. They've reduced God's righteousness to just giving money to the poor. But when they give money to the poor, they announce it. And they've reduced God's righteousness just to pray. But when they pray, they do it on street corners to be noticed. And don't reduce God's righteousness uh, to fasting. But when they fast, they make sure everybody knows. Don't be like them. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Does this make sense? This is not just a random jumble of teaching. This is a systematic presentation of Jesus' revelation of the true heart of God against the misunderstanding of, and the reduction of God's demands by the Pharisees, who were considered the most righteous in Israel. He's doing both at the same time. The transformation of the heart and the removal of any basis for our self-righteousness. Okay? Do you see that so far? Now let's talk about hypocrites. Shall we? Because we'll get there more in depth, but man, Jesus. Let's talk about hypocrites for a second. I haven't met anybody who's been burned by the church who has not said, oh, it was the hypocrites that drove me nuts. Right? They pretend to be one way, but in actuality, they're another way. So one of the and hypocrisy can come in two forms, by the way. You can be intentional about it. Like, you know, when you come in, you can't be a mess. Hey, 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 don't let anyone know we were just arguing all the way in. Right, I remember my, we would, we, my family and I, would, we would argue. We had like maybe a 30-second drive to our church. In that 30 seconds, we could get into like deep and, and substantial arguments. But... The minute the doors opened in the parking lot, what were we? <laughs> right? Right? There was never permission to be real in much of the evangelical Christianity I was handed. Real was not acceptable. Right? Nice was acceptable. But together, acceptable. Dressed up, acceptable. Sloppy, addicted, marriage blown apart, secret sins. We don't talk about that here. And so we, as a community, are annoyingly committed to being real above all else. So the stories we tell are never stories of great, glorious victory. The sermons we preach aren't always like just ended in a pretty bow. The songs that we sing aren't always like, man, God's amazing and will always be amazing. Nothing bad will ever happen. This is awesome. Or as the Lego movie had it, everything is awesome. And, and people get bummed at us, right? You've read the questions. Why are your sermons so depressing? Why can't we just be joyful all the time? How can we pick songs that don't always like inspire us? Why? Sometimes I leave more confused and sad than when I came in. Right? And what we're trying to do in that, the thing that Jesus warns his disciples against most isn't unbelief. The things Jesus warns against his disciples against most is hypocrisy. Beware the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Why? 
Hypocrisy is fatal because the sicker you are, the better you are at it. The sicker you are, the better you look. Every other disease starts with looking diseased. Hypocrisy is, no, 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 the more diseased I am, the better I need to look. And Americans are unbelievably preoccupied with appearances. Hey, missions trip, Instagram. Hey, here's me serving the poor. Right, Snapchat. Right, I mean, we're constantly, I mean, Jesus, if he were here today, he'd be saying, be careful to not do your acts of righteousness on social media. Because truly, you've received your reward in full. If it's likes that you're after, then likes you shall get. But when you are serving the poor, leave your phone at home, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you're praying, don't care about how you sound. Don't be embarrassed about whether or not you're eloquent, because God knows what's happening in your heart. When you're worshiping, don't worry about what's happening around you or whether or not people are judging you. Who cares? If you're doing it for them, then their approval is all that you'll get. So much of even the way we practice our faith together is based on social approval and appearance. And in church contexts or in gathering contexts, it's usually very regulated, right? I remember the day in my very conservative church, somebody raised their hand in the middle of a worship song. Every 200, 200 heads all turned at once. We talked about it as we were driving home. The charismatics were invading our church. And the elders then met with that person. Right? Now, we have our own ways of doing this. I mean, for us... As long as you're right in your theology, you can be the biggest jerk in the world and no one's going to care. As long as being right is far more important than being Christ-like in the way we do Christianity. And I think Jesus would just simply call us, if your theology mask is right and your heart, I mean, Paul says it so clearly, right? You can have all knowledge, but if you don't have love, you got nothing. So, what's Jesus going after? Well, he's going after the thing that plagues all of us. The fact that as we do our faith, we're conditioned so dramatically, even in the Christian community, to observe social cues, that very rarely are we real. And so, the stories we tell, the sermons we do, the songs that we choose, we're just trying to acknowledge, because it seems like to follow Jesus for a lifetime. Step number one, decide to follow him for a lifetime. And see how beautiful he is. Step number two, be real about how not good you are at doing that. Now, far too many of us stop at being real. We just don't want to stop there, right? Okay, great, I'm, I'm messed up. Great, you all know that. We're living in vulnerability, hallelujah. But that's where the process begins. So for us, it matters that people can write questions like, hey, I don't, I don't feel welcome here. Why? Because that's real. It matters that people can ask about sexuality. It matters that people can say, well, I really don't like this. It matters because we, we had a meeting 
with some of our table fellowship leaders, and we said, okay, what's one thing you would change about Vox? What's one thing you don't like? What are things you hear about what other people don't like about our community? And one of the leaders was like, I've never had a conversation like this in any faith context. And not because we're great, just because we know we're not great. And we want to get better. So like the Vox t-shirt thing, man, that's a great thing. But that's why we do it. We're not just doing it because it's something different. We're doing it because we think following Jesus starts with real. And so that means for us, we tell the stories we do, we sing the songs that we sing, we talk about what we talk about. Makes sense. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to do something a little different today. We want to take a big block to respond to this. And so we're actually, instead of having like some songs here and then some more talking and some songs over here, we're just going to do a, a block of songs. And during that time, we're going to open up the Lord's Supper to everybody. Uh, particularly for those of you that don't feel worthy, perfect. Your unworthiness is what qualifies you for the movement of Jesus. Because you are at least, the, the people most in danger of coming to this table are the people who think they deserve it. Those are the people that need to be careful. The rest of us who know this is simply an act of grace, come. Come and take the bread and dip it into the cup. And realize what's being done there is the acknowledgement not only of what Jesus has done, but our need for it. Take some of the parchment near the wood and, and write down your duplicity. You don't have to. But where... Like, if you ever, ever want to pray something that God always answers, okay, here's some prayers you never want to pray, okay? God, teach me patience. Always answer that one. God, show me where I should give money. Unfortunately, we'll always answer that one. God, show me my hypocrisy. He'll answer that one. And the nice thing is, I don't have much. And so that's a very short prayer for me. Um... But I know you guys do, and so I really think you should deal with it today. These, uh, these pieces of wood and these papers are for prayer requests, but also if, if you want to confess this morning, duplicity. I feel like I have to have it together and hide this. Being real like that is it's a good step. We're also going to have these prayer tassels. Do you see these prayer shawls? This is just a symbolic way we cry out to God for healing, reminiscent of the woman that fights through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' robe. We'll have a couple of prayer folks over there if you want to hear a human voice declare forgiveness and grace over you. Participation boxes are around the room because if you can't, if you can't uh, be real, at least give money to the church. So at least... <laughs> You know, do that. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> that was the... Hello, Facebook. Hello. So anyway, my brothers and sisters, um, <laughs> I love this stuff. I, and the reason we go, I don't know, the reason we go, I, I want to take it so seriously, even though it's hard and thick sometimes is uh, I think we've settled for a Pharisee version of Christianity. Um, and I don't just mean legalism. I just mean superficial 
I just mean shallow. I just mean we're content with being right and we think that's all there is to it. There's so much more. So it starts by just saying, okay, yep, I'm a mask wearer. Absolutely. And here's my mask. So I'm gonna pray. Izzy is gonna do her thing. We're gonna take uh, four or five songs to do this. So as always, stand, sit, walk, tables open. Um, And then we're gonna close with a story um, uh, because we have a huge value of real authentic stories. All right, sound good? Sure, like like you guys get a vote. Um, Lord Jesus, the times when you've shown the light of truth into my heart have been terrifying and wonderful all at the same time. Um, Terrifying in the sense that I see glimpses of how deep the darkness goes and how much I want to hide and cover up my neediness, my anger, my control, my pride, my whatever. But it's also incredible because as I'm learning, the grace is for that guy. The, the salvation is for that, that part of me, not just the part that acts, but the part that's real and true. And you want to transform that and love me out of that into a future that's far different and better. And so Lord Jesus, my prayer for my brothers and sisters is that you would give us courage to shed masks, to not just stay in real, but to work out Jesus following in real. And, um, and so we need your spirit to do that. We need your spirit to show us the truth about us and the grace uh, and majestic love of you in the midst of the truth about us. So to that end, Father, send your spirit. May we respond with courage and grace. We love you and we bless you. Amen. Um, we've invited our friend Joey to come out, share his story. And, uh, and after that, uh, we'll close our service, but we have shaved ice uh, for Dad's Day. So uh, it's a shaved, shaved ice social is kind of uh, how we call that. So stick around for that. But uh, before we do, goodbye, sweet girl. Goodbye. Get some shaved ice ahead of everybody else, okay? Because you need sugar. Your mom, your mom knows it. So this is Joey. Joey, say hi to the 9 o'clock service. Hello. Hello, 9 o'clock service. Hello. Yep. Hello, 9 o'clock service. Yeah, that's how how they treat me, too. It's kind of like, okay. All right, we're ready. All right, bro. Speak into that thing and let us have it. So I grew up in the church. Sunday school was a requirement, never a choice. Uh, I heard who Jesus was every single week, but it never hit my heart because it felt like white noise listening to the words uh, from my dad up on the stage. Once high school hit, I completely engulfed myself with playing soccer, uh, and I intentionally looked for ways to get out of going to church, out of church every single week. No. <laughs> no. Uh, things escalated a little bit, and I started living a double life. Uh, I was one person around my high school uh, where all the teachers knew my family, because I was the eighth one to go through the high school. Uh, right? So I was one person around that high school, and then I was a different person when, I would get, uh, when it comes to the weekends with my soccer friends who were from a different complete city. Uh, With this group of friends in high school, I started drinking, smoking, and I sadly lost my virginity at a really young age, something I wish I could always take back. Uh, But at the same time, I was able to go back to my clean-cut pastor-child image at my local high school. So Mike was just talking about in this message about hypocrites, 
I want you to know I fall into every single category of that word. So it's time to go to college. Uh, a few offers I had to play soccer fell through on me, but somehow Biola was still there and that was an option for me to go through. So I, I thought, you know what, why not? I had four sisters go there. Why not just follow through in their footsteps too? Uh, I figured as soon as I would go there, as soon as I would go into college, it's going to be Biola, it's going to be a Bible college, so everything's going to magically fall into, into place and my face is going to be resurrected and everything's going to be perfect. <laughs> well, I was sadly mistaken. And let me find my mat real quick. Cool. Okay, so I quickly got, and when I got into Bible, I quickly fell back into the party scene just two weeks into school. Here I was at a Bible school two weeks into school at, at my first party. I learned a lesson that no matter where you go, no matter where, you can always find whatever you're searching for. You can find the good, you can find the bad, and wherever you're going. So I continued that party lifestyle my first entire semester of college, and then I finally had a mentor who loved me enough, who loved me so deeply and challenged me uh, so hard that it came to a point uh, that it became clear to me that I didn't have any personal relationship with God, and I realized that if I died in that moment, he'd have a pretty strong case for sending me to hell. So I, deci I decided to, take some, to make some intentional changes that summer. Uh, I went and worked up at Hume Lake Christian Camps. Anyone know where that's at? Absolutely. Cool, yeah. And so I, I totally... <laughs> left society, left my cell phone behind and completely separated myself from the world. No contact with anyone off the mountain. That was the most life-changing summer um, I've ever had. It was the first time I started a real relationship with God. So my entire life I've been trying to please others and seek the approval from others who were older than me uh, and never actually looking for the approval from the one who really mattered. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I seeking the approval of man or of God? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I wish I could stand here and tell you that I'm on fire for God all the time, but man, I still doubt. I still neglect people. I still don't have a life that constantly has God at the center of it. A life in community with God's a roller coaster. Let me tell you, it's ups and downs. For me, at least, it's ups and downs all the time, but always trying to move in the, same, uh, in the right direction. Hmm. Maybe your life with God is similar to mine. I have such high moments of clarity where I know exactly who God is, and the next moment I'm doubting if he even exists. I have days where all I want to do is engulf myself in worship and study my Bible. But the next day I find it painstaking just to open up the Bible. And it's like the, I feel guilty just listening to the words on the radio. Uh, I wish all the words I read and I hear and I sing could stick to my heart and never peel off. I wish I could say it's easy to accept God's love when I know straight up, man, I don't deserve it. And I wish more than anything I loved impartially. I wish I never saw... I, never, I wish I never saw gender, wish I never saw color, wish I never saw race, wish I never saw religion, wish I never saw any of that. I wish I could do it impartially, but man, I don't. Hmm. I spent so much of my, try, of my life trying to do the right thing in the world's eyes, and rarely do I ever sit down and ask God for guidance and submit myself to him. Under all these areas, I know I fall short. I know God loves me anyway. Not because I've read it, or I sing it, or I hear it, but because I've actually felt it. Uh, let me tell you how. So recently, uh, this, is gonna, this might sound weird to some of you guys, but uh, soccer has been the biggest ministry opportunity outlet for me. Um, I know it's just a game where you run around and kick a ball, and especially for Americans, it doesn't mean much. <laughs> but it's been the biggest ministry opportunity for me. Uh, in the past three years, the sport's taken me to 11 different countries, and I've been able to share the gospel in places where it's totally illegal and dangerous at the same time. Uh, I've been able to do this because the platform that the sport has given me to build relationships with people who don't speak the same language as me, don't look like me, usually they're not, uh, they're not ever the same religion as me, might not be the same gender as me, but we all run around and kick the same ball uh, impartially. 
with each other. So I want to share with you two recent stories from, that I had earlier this year. Uh, the first one was in Havana, Cuba. Uh, I was with 10 other Christian soccer guys from the U.S., and we were playing d- different teams from around different local cities uh, on the island. Uh, so what we would do is we'd play the games, and then afterwards we would ask them if they wanted to come and listen to a story we had to tell. And they had no idea what we were going to talk about, uh, but we were, we were going to do was share the gospel with them. But they were just going to come and hear what the Americans had to say, so we had some big crowds coming out to come hear what we were going to say. So someone would share the gospel with him, and after one of the games, a young boy came up to us uh, who, who said he believed for the first time the words that Jesus was preaching. Uh, we noticed that he was sitting down. He was After that, we noticed he was sitting down, and he was actually hopping around, and we felt, you know, there's got to be something wrong with this kid. And he said he had an injured leg. And I've never done this before, felt the need to, but I had this overwhelming, uh, strong urge to lay hands and pray on him. So with my hand gripped on his leg and a group of other guys around me all praying out loud for God's healing, uh, in a country where it was illegal for us to do it as foreigners, I physically felt movement in that, in that little boy's leg during this prayer, uh, movement in his leg. Two minutes later, he was walking around and said he didn't have pain anymore. All I could say was thank you, God, for that experience. Uh, for me specifically, uh, something as simple as a sport of soccer, <laughs> stupid little sport of soccer, has given me a platform and opportunity to share the gospel. Um, for you guys, it can be something totally different. It could be construction, it could be singing, it could be writing, it could be anything. Fasting. It could be fasting, it could be literally anything. I want to leave you with a quote with a, from a, favorite so- a famous soccer player named Ronaldinho. Uh, he had this really cool quote that said, some can uh, sing, some can dance, some can write. He, God gave me the gift to play soccer, and I'm going to make the most of it. Uh, I'll, make, I'll make the most of it. So I want to challenge you today as you're taking off from here. God gives, he's giving gifts to all of us. For me, it's a little sport like soccer. For you, it could be something completely different. How can you use that gift to bless people around you? Because you might not think you can use it, just like I didn't think four years ago I could use soccer. But you can. There's, God gives gifts to all of us, and there's a way you can bless others. And thank you. All right. Thank you, my friend. No, nope, come here. Bring it in. Thank you so much, dude. Brothers and sisters, would you stand as we go? I think they make adult foosball, and I think I'd be very good at that. You just kind of stand there. Um, (laughs) Sorry, so many jokes. You know, um, I love that just because, on the one hand, um, there's a sense in which the people that come up and share their stories, no matter what their story's about, it's a bit of their removing their mask. And so I always so applaud the courage of people who come up and share a bit of where they see the disparity between how they look and what they're like. But there's also something I think really important in there, that you don't have to get it together and be perfect before God can use you. Because there's, there's a sense in which I think some people fall into the, yep, I'm a real, yep, I'm real, yep, I'm a mess, and I got to get that fixed first. And we just want to say, no, no, it's part of the realness that God can use too. And so uh, I want to send you with that sort of thought. Um, we always do kind of a benediction, uh, but I want, to, I want to pray something different over you. Again, there's shaved ice, and it's a social, okay? So get some shaved ice social uh, as you go. But I want to pray a blessing over you first. God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. For my brothers and sisters here, 
some of whom are deeply in pain and who are deeply a mess and who are deeply in need of your touch and your rescue. And I pray particularly for those people that you would give them a sense that even in that space, God, you use them and call them and bless them and love them. And God, it's not our strength that draws people to us, but our weakness. It's not our beauty that makes us compelling, but our ugliness. It's the fact, God, that, that you, in your glory, can use all things to draw people to yourself. And so we present ourselves, our real selves, before you to be used in whatever way you deem fit. We bless you and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, brothers and sisters, bless you. There's Teresa and Sherman. They're, le they're leaving here in a couple of weeks for their road trip, so hug them. There's Rhonda's parents. Say hello to them. I'm just going to name random people, the Pentons and Dan and Jamie visiting, which is great, and just love each other. Be kind to each other in the parking lot. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox community at voxoc.com slash participate.